This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. I'm Chris Bowers, and this week our attention turns to the doubles game, bringing you some of our favourite interviews conducted over the course of the past few weeks. My pleasure to be joined by Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury. Thank you guys both so much for joining us as we do a little bit of doubles talk today, a little strategy talk, so thank you so much. Good to be here. So. I wanted to talk a little bit today just about doubles strategy. This is more just kind of the nuts and bolts of, of doubles at this high level. You guys are in the top 10 in the doubles race um, at this stage of the season. And you guys have come together over the last year or so. And I'm wondering how you, um, in the first couple of weeks of working together, how you do a good self-analysis of your own strengths, your own weaknesses, and start to work together to, to find a, a good strength as a team. Part of it is you, you, you have a pretty good idea of what you do well and what you don't do well. Um, you know, we've played long enough, and you know, it's not, not really a secret out here. So I think part of it is trying to find a partner that maybe covers up some of your weaknesses. So, for example, for me, I feel like one of the things is I hit the ball pretty well, you know, serve pretty well, but movement and athleticism is not necessarily one of my strengths and I feel like Joe's quite high on that list as far as probably being one of the best athletes out here so like put that together we can you know maybe uh, cover up some of each other's holes so I think that's sort of the first thing is you look for somebody that maybe complements what you do yeah I mean I agree I, I'd say that I'd, I, I don't think I've got it completely figured out um, if somebody asked me what my ideal doubles partner would be I'm not sure I'd be able to Give them, give them the answer. I mean, obviously, the, the best player possible. Uh, but in terms of if, you, if you're going to say, well, are they better at this and not as good at something else? Then I'd say that probably my kind of my serve and my net game and my strengths and my maybe my returns not so much. So then you'd think, well, maybe it's better if I play with a a good returner. But then it kind of it can sort of balance each other out too much. And that if one's good at one thing and the other not so much and then say I play with a good returner but a weak server then maybe we're kind of doing okay on return games but not well enough and then maybe I'm holding my serve but my partner's losing his and then it might actually be better if you have two guys that are maybe really good at the same thing so you have another play with a guy who's another really good server and a net player then you might think okay well we, we should never get never get broken but then <laughs> then we're struggling on return games so yeah I don't, I don't think there's a, a magic uh, formula or one sort of best solution that that kind of solves all your problems how quickly do you guys know you both have had good partnerships in, in the past how quickly do you know that something's going to work well I think uh, to add to the previous question I think one thing that gets overlooked sometimes is personality and sort of communication chemistry that kind of thing because I think you know we're talking about you know the top players in the world here so everybody can play pretty well but you know if I can do something to help my partner play at his best and vice versa I think that's really important and overlooked sometimes you just say well returns serves forehands backhands but it's also kind of about you know having you know letting your partner or or, or bringing out the best in your partner I guess and and the and the same goes the opposite so I think that's you know something you can tell pretty soon like if you feel comfortable on the court with you know whoever it is then I think 
that makes you play a little bit better, and that's maybe the most important thing that there is. Yeah. Do you have an idea of how quickly it's been able to click for you with, in that regard with personalities? Uh, yeah, I think I kind of knew even before we played any matches together when we were just uh, practicing at the start of the season that we kind of got on well on and off the court and that it was going to work well. Obviously, yeah, you don't know until you've played some tournaments and see how how you're performing together and what, how your results are. But I think, yeah, it felt pretty comfortable from the start and then we knew that, that we were going to match up well. So what does it look like when it doesn't work in terms of a, a partnership, a new one? Oh, okay. Well, I think one thing you can see is like, if you see two people out there looking like they're sort of not really a team, you know, like they're not communicating, no high fives, no, you know, there's a, it's tough to explain exactly what it is, but you can tell when two people are out there just sort of playing and, and when two people are trying to work together. And I think there's a big difference there. In some, some regards, kind of the mental aspect of, of tennis can be even tougher in doubles because you're having to sort of manage yourself and, and your partner as well. And I think the most important thing is that your partner is almost helping you out with that and making it easier for you to perform well rather than making it even more of a struggle because if you're having to kind of if you're getting frustrated and annoyed at your your partner as as well as yourself then obviously that makes it twice difficult but it should be there it should be that your partner's there kind of to support you and making it easier for you to play well so within a match how much are you doing in terms of let's just start with service games your own service games are you trying to accentuate your partner's strengths when you're making your serve calls about whether to go body, wide, T? Are you trying to accentuate your partner's strengths or more attack your opponent's weaknesses? I think both. Um, I think we're, we're trying to play so that we're, yeah, we're, we're winning points as a team. Uh, we're not kind of trying to do things on our own, like trying to hit aces or trying to hit shots where we're kind of just winning the point on our own a lot of the shots we're hitting are trying to set up our partner so whether that means trying to play to our opponent's strength so they might hit a weaker shot so our partner can kind of finish the point or doing something which I know that Rajiv likes um, or a play that yeah play that he likes so he might he might feel more comfortable in that point. Can you explain what that means in, in terms of if you're serving, what, what you look for so that you can set Rajiv up at the net? I know it's kind of a broad question, but what's, what's the best way to give an example of that? So I guess if we're playing people that don't like playing against eye formation, then I think that that's where often most people feel more comfortable at the net. They can kind of cover more court and feel more imposing at the net when, when you're playing the eye formation so if I was going to serve maybe to my opponent had a weaker backhand I might serve to their backhand I feel that like they don't have the the power or the precision to get it past Rajiv at the net hitting that shot so then we might do that play playing eye formation I'd serve serve to his backhand and then that would feel like they, that would give a chance good chance for Rajiv to get take the next ball and finish the point. Rajiv, you talked about his athleticism. Uh, how do you take advantage of that within a match? Uh, let him hit most of the smashes, <laughs> for one. No, I think like what he said. I mean, I think part of part of the uh, part of the thing is like you want to try and make the court look as small as possible for your opponents. You know, so it's like when you have someone that's quite quick, you know, you feel like, or at least for me, I feel like I can set up plays to take advantage of that. For example, on the returning side of things, you know, I feel like if I can really get the ball 
you know, down cross court with some good pace. I don't really have to worry so much about the next ball because Joe does such a good job of covering, you know, anything that comes back. So it's like I'm just focused on that one particular aspect of it, you know. And if it comes back, okay, fine, I'll deal with it. But, like, it's way more important for me to, to sort of hit the setup shot, let's say. Um, and I think that's probably the case on my serve, on my return. And, and that's why I think we make a pretty good partnership because I feel quite good about those shots that I have. And, and he does such a nice job of sort of cleaning up after that. How much uh, do you guys use analytics, statistics, to uh, decide how much you want to poach within a match, how much you want to just pinch middle? Um, those type of decisions, um, which are minute, um, how much do you look at that before a match and decide, I want to try to go maybe 50% of the time against one particular server returner? We do look at that quite a bit. Uh, we'll look at the statistics of kind of the things that we're doing in terms of maybe the, the, the percentage of points that we're winning, hitting certain serves, maybe from either from eye formation or from, from regular formation. Uh, we'll look at kind of what the, what the opponents like to do and whether they're kind of winning more points returning against eye formation or, or regular. Um, but... Yeah, so we'll look at all that information, but then you've got to kind of also take it with a pinch of salt and know that those things can can help, but they're not gonna they're not gonna win you the match. And I think if you sometimes you can look at that too much and think, okay, well they they do this or they're probably gonna hit this shot if we do this. But if you get too set in that, you can kind of forget about what you're doing and and how you play your best. Um, so we kind of we look at those things and we kind of have them in the back of our mind but then we kind of focus more on ourselves and, and know that if we play that our best game and we execute our shots that we can that that's the most important thing Rajiv you said it earlier uh, that there are really no secrets out here mm-hmm. um, when you're playing against other doubles teams that you've played countless yeah. times everybody tends to know patterns tendencies etc yeah. so how, how are you able to mix those things up um, just so that they're off balance. Well, I think that's what Joe just talked about. I think you can focus sometimes on those things a bit too much. You know, if you have certain ideas, I think sometimes you know there's also an element of trusting your gut out here and saying, "Well, look, I'm feeling this certain sh- serve on this day or this certain return or wh- whatever." And I think that's a big part of it. Um, there's obviously, you know, everyone that we play against is usually pretty good um and there's a reason they're pretty good is because their weaknesses are minuscule maybe a certain shot is slightly worse than the other but i think you know unpredictability is a big big thing you know not being not being sort of stuck in a certain pattern or stuck in a, a certain way because i think even like to somebody's weakest shot if you tell them it's going to go there and if you you you, you know if you do it like that they're they're going to be able to pick up on it you know so i think that's a big part of it and you got to remember that we're doing this for our opponents looking at what they do well what they don't do well what they might do against us but they're going to be doing the same thing against us so if we think that they usually hit a certain (laughs) shot and that we know that they might think well they they know that we that we know that and they're going to try and do something differently so it gets a bit convoluted like that so that's why like joe's absolutely right it's it's about hitting the shot that's the most important thing or or playing your, your style playing your tennis it's not that's why identity and, and sort of really understanding who you are as a player is sometimes more important than some of the statistical things. 
So in that regard, as you're saying, that's that's more against the double specialists, doubles teams that you're familiar with. When you are having to go against a couple of singles guys who are doing it, they're they're maybe a little bit more relaxed playing freely. How do you adjust your your tendencies in that particular type of a match? You probably have to be a bit more even like aware of your your stuff because they are going to be a bit more free flowing and. Generally, the singles guys are, you know, are quite good. So, like, they're going to be able to hit a lot of great shots. But I think they're also maybe not used to some of the subtleties and the aspects of doubles that you can sort of put them off a little bit. So, I think it's, it's still valid. I think it's still everyone still has tendencies, strengths, and weaknesses. But I think maybe it's just a bit more about what you know what we do there in that situation. Yeah, it's definitely a bit more random when you play those guys. You don't really know the kind of shots that they're going to play, the, the patterns that they're going to do. Um, but so yeah, you've got to focus more on yourself and trust that your double skills are going to kind of trump whatever they're doing. Joe, you're one of the youngest guys inside the top 20 in the doubles rankings. There, there are not too many younger guys out there. Um, and I, I guess I'm wondering from your perspective what you see as we've been talking about all of these tendencies and, and just that experience level, wh- why you think it is that there are uh, so many guys 30, even 35 plus in the top 20 in the doubles rankings. I mean, I think it takes, yeah, it takes a while to kind of perfect, the, or not even perfect, but get really good at the, the double skills. Um, I think a lot of the, the doubles guys also were kind of singles players like Rajiv and then, then switched into the doubles. Um, and obviously it's, it's less physical, uh, it's less tough on the body than, than singles, so you, can, so you can go longer. Um, so I think just it's just a matter of getting better over time. The, the, lo- the longer you play doubles, the better you're going to get. So I think that's the main reason. You notice how I didn't ask Rajiv about the age question. That, that's just <laughs> typical. I, I, you've obviously worked with Louis Caillé, um, who's the, the British doubles guru. Raj, I've known your coach, Brian Smith, and some other mm-hmm. people that you've worked with over the years. How do coaches uh, combine philosophies in, in these types of situations when you have separate coaches coming into a partnership? Um, I think, well, I think the most important thing in doubles is also to try and bring like your best self. And you know, I think if there's a coach or, or somebody that can help you do that, feel the best, have been the best mental space, whether it's singles, doubles, any, anything else. I think that's very useful. So I don't think it's always just about doubles coaching per se it's also about individual you know individual stuff you know what is going to make me serve the best what is going to make me return the best volley the best forehands and backhands so it's like it's still it's still at the end of the day it's still tennis even though it's a different discipline it's still the same basic idea so I think it's really useful to have someone that can you know make you the best you can be and then if you combine it with a bit of the doubles nuances and the subtleties I think that's that's the idea you know have you uh, worked at all with Louis by yeah. any chance? Mm-hmm. And, and your thoughts on his style and why it's made so many uh, younger British doubles players so good in, in the last couple of years? I mean, I think he's probably the most the most studied coach that I've seen. You know, especially in this in the doubles world. You know, he he understands the game. He understands the sort of the the percentages, the the sort of uh, the math of doubles maybe better than anybody and he, and he does an unbelievable job of sort of producing his information over facts you know of what's happened over time and I think that's you know that pays dividends to a lot of people where you, it doesn't just become about hitting great tennis shots it also becomes about maybe making your opponents making it more difficult for your opponents based on positioning and, and some different things like that so I mean I think it's 
uh, his record speaks for himself, for sure. And it's been great to be able to tap into that, for sure, for me. Rajiv Ram, Joe Salisbury, thank you so much for your time. Greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, and ATPTour.com. Pleased to be joined on ATP Tennis Radio by Kevin Kravitz and Andreas Meese. You guys have been together now for a year and a half playing together. Um, You've had quite a run these last 15, 16 months. You started on the Challenger Tour, got your first ATP title this year, and then, of course, the big one, the Roland Garros Grand Slam champion. Just talk about how special those last 15 months and, and what exactly was the key to you rising so quickly? Yeah, it's it's very special, I think, because uh, it's no um, not so many teams they they did this like this this journey. I don't know. We started like maybe with the ranking 150 or something, or or even worse. So uh, yeah, it's it's uh, going pretty fast everything. So yeah, we uh, we start on the on the challenger level and uh, won the first uh, first tournament together. We we won it directly. So uh, and then we we keep going in the challengers. We had a lot of matches. We won a lot of matches and. I think that's also the key, like to to, to only only win matches, like to to improve our game and then to to go to the next level, to go into the ATPs and then um, yeah, in ATPs 250, it's uh, it's always closer and, and closer, and you have not so many chances to to make the to make the break, to to hold your serve. And uh, yeah, I mean, now it's, uh, it's a very special, very special moment in Paris, of course. I mean, that's uh, came, came so quick after, I mean, after one and a half years, second Grand Slam together. Yeah, I, uh, and then <laughs> I don't know what to say. And then uh, we, we just keep going now and uh, go for, go for more. So you guys both made me smile because you're getting so excited about it. But really, congratulations! It's been—it's—it was fun to watch you both in New York and in Roland Garros. And Andreas, just touch on—you um, know—going from those challengers as well. Like, what exactly did, did you know you had to lift your level when you got to the the ATP Tour? When you got to the um, 250s, 500s, and the Grand Slam, of course. Yeah, I mean, when you start a partnership, uh, I mean, before we played with a lot of partners, we changed the we changed the partners quite a lot, and and we saw each other um, in the, in the summer in 2017. We played each other a few times, and uh, yeah, I mean, when you we said okay, let's play uh, one tournament together, let's see how it goes, and you and you don't know, you have no idea before how it's gonna go, and. We, like Kevin said, we won the first challenger we played, and we had a good feeling. It, it felt like it clicked from the beginning, and uh, um, yeah. And then we built on this. We built a great chemistry over the last year, and 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 uh, I, I don't know. We just uh, we built something. We played a lot of matches together, and that helps. And uh, we know each other well. We also get along well off the court, which helps you on the court. And. I mean, if if someone would have told us uh, at the beginning of our partnership that we play uh, that we play so many good matches and we get up so fast, I mean, we wouldn't believe it. And um, second Grand Slam together and you win it, it's uh, it's it's just an incredible journey we had, and uh, we're enjoying it. And we have to, we know we have to keep going, and um, and we believed in in our uh, in, in our team from the start and uh, enjoyed enjoyed playing together, and uh, yeah. We tried to keep going and uh, hopefully win some more. And then uh, Andreas also, I'm assuming, you know, won a Grand Slam title and now possibly thinking about the Masters at the end of the year. I know that's far away, but that's a lot of players' goals. Is that something you guys have, have been thinking about? 
I mean, we never thought about it uh, before the French Open, you know, it, but it's, it has always been a dream. Um, I actually attended the ATP University in November in London and we got to watch a, a match uh, there um, at the, at the on-site uh, at the O2 and it was just incredible and I thought hopefully I will play here one day, you know, and maybe now we have the chance one, one year later to do it. And um, we, we gave ourselves that chance with the win and uh, we tried to keep going. Uh, we have a lot of tournaments and a lot of matches to go until then. Now it's hard to, to say who's going to be a part of it. And um, yeah, if, if, if we're going to be able to, to attend that event and to be part of, of, that, of such a big event, it would be a dream come true. And of course, uh, you dream of the biggest things in tennis, um, to win a Grand Slam, to, to win the finals. Um, these are the things you dream of as a kid and uh, if we can um, make these dreams tr uh, come true it's it's uh, even uh, it's even better it would be sweet to play the O2 finals uh, so yeah we'll see let's let's see what happens during the next few months uh, and uh, hopefully we can give us ourselves a chance to to be there you're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. It's an honor to be sitting here with Neil Skupski, um, partner of Jamie Murray, legendary team, the Skupski Brothers, uh, now in the past. You and I have talked about this uh, before, uh, about the future that you and Ken had. Uh, in fact, you and I talked back in uh, at the Australian Open in January. Yeah. Um, explain the situation um, for people who might not know about why the two of you have decided to split. Well... We had played together for six years um, and we always thought if I ever, um, I would never change. I would stay playing with Ken for, until he finished, until he retired. Um, and then this year it was probably our best start of the year. I think we made maybe four finals and we won one of them, Budapest on clay. Um, it was working really well. And then I got the call off Jamie and it's a... Uh, a very tough call I mean it's I spoke to Ken straight away about it but he was all for it I mean it, credit to him um, he thought it's be, it would be best for my career um, I mean he's still got a few few years left in him but yeah he just thought um, in my situation I was a little bit higher than him in the rankings and the opportunity to play with Jamie it opened up a few more doors um, so yeah I mean it's it was a tough decision that, for the family, um, but at the end of the day, it's hopefully it works out. Yeah, and I know that Ken has, has three children, um, and I know that that's going to be something that weighs on him in the, in the future as well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean he's got he's got three kids, but he, I think he, he handles it very well. Um, he kind of normally plays probably two weeks, two or three weeks maximum, and then goes back to see the kids. Um, but he he's done really well. I mean he, especially with the split with me and him. Um, but he, some people could say he doesn't train hard or um, doesn't take it that seriously because he's got three kids. But he's he's on the he's practicing nearly every day. Um, he's he's working hard. He's trying to improve, even at his age. Um, he still he still wants to. He's got he's still still got goals that he wants to to complete. Um, and I'll always support him um, from when he, even if he does decide to to finish in a couple of years' time or whenever that may be, I'm not sure, but he's got my support. It's been about a year 
ish, a little year and a half since you've really been established inside that that top 70-ish range where you're in all of the slams. You're now in these all of these master series events. What has that transition been from, uh, say, challenger level tennis in 250s to being at the highest levels week in, week out? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a massive difference in, in standard um, compared to what people may think. People may think, oh, there's the guy's ranked about 80, 90, he's not very good, he's on a challenger tour. But the, the standard's so high these days on the doubles tour. I started, probably the, this time last year, I was playing the Vancouver Challenger um, with Luke Bambridge. And it's, I mean, I would say I'm not playing that much different. Um, obviously, I've worked on a few things, I've put it into practice and it's paid off. But um, I just think you've got to turn up every day, um, put the work in on the practice court to reach this level and I think you need a, maybe a little bit of luck along the way because um, I've never really me and Ken didn't have the opportunity to play Master Series um, we didn't even we didn't play a 500 I don't think mm. together um, I think Ken's only played two or three in his life so really? it, it is very tough um, so in the past we've always tried to stick together um, and try and try and get in that way but it's, it's been very difficult to get in on cuts. People know that Neil and Ken will always play together, so try and get above their ranking to get into tournaments. So we decided maybe last year to try and maybe use other guys to get in with. I started playing with Kyle Edmund um, in the Masters Series. I played a, a week with John Isner, um, and it worked, it worked really well. It helped my, my ranking because I won a few matches. So it helped our combined ranking. So we, we managed to get into the bigger events on a regular occasion. Um, and then once we did get into the events, we, we tried to take advantage and um, we progressed up the rankings. So it, it's been working really well. Um, and then obviously this, the opportunity to play with Jamie, it just opens up an, another door. You mentioned some of the other guys you'd partnered with uh, to get into some of the Master Series, Kyle Edmund being one, John Isner being another. And that brings up the world team tennis. You were the men's MVP yeah. uh, this summer. Um, Two-part question. Why go the world team tennis route? And, and number two, do you think it, it gives you an opportunity to show that you are uh, used to these team competitions and can be there for ATP Cup? Um, I've always enjoyed playing in a team environment. I, I went to Louisiana State University, and I've, I've missed playing in a team since leaving there. Um, so... The, having the opportunity to play world team tennis for the New York Empire this is I've played five years now four years for the New York Empire um, and this is our su most successful year um, and actually it opens up doors um, obviously playing with John Isner I played with him last year in Paris so that was a nice thing hopefully maybe I can do it again one time and then um, I made the semi-finals of the Australian Open in mixed doubles with uh, Maria Jose Martinez Sanchez who also played on the same team as me last year um, so it opens up doors you, you meet new people you play a lot of matches um, you come out seeing the ball like a, a football um, so I really enjoy it um, and then obviously the ATP Cup is it's done on ranking so um, for me to get into that I would have to win a lot of matches um, we'll just have to see what happens at the end of the year um, but if if I keep winning matches with Jamie we'll, we'll see what happens I had an interview with Jamie this week, and I mocked your hair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I knew that was going to come up. 
you know, any response here? Because this, what I've got going on here is there's nothing to it, but it is, you do have uh, among the top five hair in the sport oh, well, of tennis. Thank you, yeah. I, I do, I'm, I make fun of you, but it, yeah, it is ja fantastic. Jamie's made a lot of fun of me recently uh, about my hair. Um, he's, he does overdo with, I do get a haircut every two weeks, <laughs> but that's not true. Um, I probably get a haircut every three weeks. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, a lot of people say it takes me about 10 minutes. I'm always in the mirror, but it's not true. I mean, I'm drying my hair. It takes me about one minute. I've never I've probably had the same haircut for the, like the last five, 10 years. And it's, uh, it works well for me. But I, I bring it up just because I, what I've always sensed about you is just the uh, attention to detail yourself, the uh, attention to professionalism. Mm. And I'm wondering how you think that that has helped you in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you when you go on court or in life, you you actually you want to look as best as you can. Um, you don't really want to be w walking around and you got holes in your shocks and in, in your in your top. Um, so I I take a lot of I, I want to look good when I'm. Cause I think it imposes on other people um, when you go on court if you're looking good. Um, cause I think teams should probably wear the same colours on court because um, I think when people are watching like fans or on tv and they see teams that aren't wearing the same colors they're like what's this are they what are they doing um but i think because the doubles the double doubles team should wear um the same colors obviously it's difficult with branding and stuff um but they should because the atp had it a few years ago um that they had it was mandatory to wear the same colors um shirts and sorts um, it didn't have to be the same shirt and shirt. It could be shirt and short colours. Um, and then obviously, you got World Team Tennis that have the names on the back. Um, I think maybe the, the ATP should maybe look at that again um, for doubles guys to maybe promote them a little bit better. But yeah, I mean, it's it all comes down to style, and I, I have my own unique style, and Jamie has his. He uh, he doesn't do his hair that much, <laughs> but uh, I, I did remember him doing it in Australia one time this year. He he had a, a big fade, um, <laughs> and he in his hair, and it was it looked pretty good actually. So maybe we uh, maybe we can go for a, a team fade one day. We'll see. Neil Skupski, thank you so much for your time on ATP Tennis Radio. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, and ATPTour.com. This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. That's it for this week's podcast. My thanks to Jill Krabus and Mike Cation for those interviews. I'm Chris Bowers. Join me next week when we continue our doubles theme with one of the world's leading coaches. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. review.